And when he was good, he was very, very good. But when he was bad, he was horrid. You want to know what's interesting is that that's what they say about Jack Zimmerman. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm not even kidding, like in the comic. um, (laughs) Oh, that's true. Welcome back to Check Displays, the podcast where we're reading through the webcomic Check Please, strip by strip, so that now that it's been completed, we can talk about the whole thing organically and reflect on how we feel about it. Today, we're looking at comic 1.16, Line Mates, which was posted on June 1st, 2014. I'm Secret OMG. Who the hell are you? I'm Tomato, don't you know me? <laughs> yeah, I do. I know ya. So Biddy starts by ranting to his vlog about how he can't even be happy about the fact that he was on the first line for yesterday's game with Knipiak because Jack Zimmerman is such a little bitch. We get what I guess is Biddy recounting this incident in a kind of flashback that's not cued at all by the strip. They're all sitting in the locker room and the coach is explaining that um, they're going to need to be really fast for this game. So he's putting Biddy on the first line. Jack hears this and is instantly caught off guard. He goes up to the coach and he's basically like, what the fuck? And the coaches tell Jack... You're a better player when you play with Biddy. The rest of the team is busy congratulating Biddy, but Jack is glaring at him with some sort of, I don't know, negative emotion. And that's why in the final panel, Biddy just has a look on his face of like indescribable dread or something. Yeah, that's my summary. That's my summary of the strip. I summarized it. Well, there's not that much that happens in the strip, is there? So it's really a strip about a conversation and a glance, which is so many things in this comic turn out to mean everything or maybe nothing. I, I do think there, there are a couple main things to talk about in regard to this strip, even though, no, not that much is happening in it. It's basically an opening panel where Biddy is saying, oh, I'm so pissed off about this one thing that happened. And then you see that this one thing that happened that pissed him off transpired over like, a 35 second period and that's the comic strip he says jack just hates my guts ever since i scored in that game against Yale, he's had it out for me is this jack having it out for him well it's an interesting question that you ask that we can't possibly answer at all because we haven't seen anything going on between jack and biddy since Biddy scored in that game against Yale. We're being told this by Biddy here. So I guess we're supposed to intuit that, yes, Jack has continued the behavior that we saw him displaying over the course of the first semester, but we haven't seen any of it, which leads me to ask you, why don't we see any of this? Why is this something that Biddy is telling us instead of it being depicted in the comic. They seemed fine in the closet story. Granted, they weren't interacting, but they were hanging out together as part of a group and not like displaying animosity toward each other. And then uh, kind of a status quo continued into Lardo. I guess this sort of leaves us to theorize both 
in text, is this really what's happening? And if it's not, what's causing Biddy to say it? And out of text, why are we being told this instead of shown it? I mean, okay, so there's kind of like two arguments here, right? There, well, there's the old sort of Watsonian versus Doyleist explanation, et cetera, et cetera. And if I think about a sort of Watsonian explanation, this is 4D chess because it doesn't actually show us what's happening between Biddy and Jack, but it does help us understand Biddy as a character as someone who's really insecure, as someone who reads into situations. And this, you know, potentially can be then eventually read into his actions in later years. So maybe this is like a really compelling character study into why Biddy feels compelled to get married at the age of like 22. However, I'm not sure that the comic is doing that. And in fact, I'm pretty sure it's not. So when you kind of zoom out from that perspective, I think it's just ineffective writing. I mean, like... What is the point? Ngozi has talked about, and I think we've mentioned before, that she sees each panel as almost a still of a TV show. And if you think about it that way, if you think about this as a kind of storyboarding or a kind of TV show refining of idea into distilled moments, why would you waste a panel of Biddy sitting in his bedroom with his rabbit reading on his bed behind him when that space and like art could be used to exactly show this relationship and i think the reason is that for some reason there's a real unwillingness to actually examine this complicated relationship that appears to be happening between these two characters or maybe like there's a lack of skill in how to show it in a way that won't turn jack into a more antagonistic character even though the comic seems perfectly willing to show him as an antagonistic character at times, like when he's really mean to Biddy at the beginning. So I have to guess that the answer is just ineffective writing. I think it's just bad writing. I think it's just really bad writing. I think it would have been really easy to use one panel in Lardo to like show Jack walking out of the room past Biddy, ignoring him or something like that to just subtly carry the thread forward of Jack hating Biddy's guts or giving Biddy cause to think that Jack hates his guts. At least not since Samwell versus Yale 3. It hasn't been supported, like, in the text. And I have to imagine this would have been even more confusing if you're coming back to this comic after a three-month break, during which you would have been seeing a bunch of extras of, like, the whole team getting along. I don't remember being that confused, but I also was a less critical reader when this was coming out. This was quite a few years ago. And because the comic didn't yet have anything in it that made me want to read it in a deeper way, I just kind of accepted whatever information it gave me. And I was reading it in part with friends, so it just felt like a thing you read about with your friends and then chat with them about because you're excited. This style of writing reminds me very much of what it feels like to learn how to code for the first time. When I was first learning the very, very basics of this language called inform, which is a natural language parser, don't worry about it. Anyway, you have to learn how to think about words in a very different way. That particular language is designed for making text games and where it feels like to the reader 
there's something like nuanced happening. What you as the programmer are doing is essentially reaching your hands into a cardboard diorama and just like setting up situations. And that's very, very difficult for me as a writer to learn how to do because it's a completely different way of thinking about reading and writing. For me, this comic, the first time through felt like that readership position where you feel like something nuanced or interesting is kind of going on behind the scenes and you have access to little bits of it. And it creates this feeling of a more complex story that maybe you don't have entirely entire access to, but that's fine. Like you, you get what you need from the story. But now that I'm rereading it in a more careful way, I feel very much like I'm seeing the hands behind the scene, just sort of like moving cardboard pieces around. And it's frustrating, but I don't remember it being frustrated. frustrating. I remember being like, oh no, poor Biddy. You know, Jack's being a dick again and just kind of accepting that. I wonder whether there was already a sort of OMGCP critical contingent beginning to grow that I just didn't have access to. Well, number one, I'm going to guess no, but if anybody listening is aware of what kinds of fan activity were happening in Sheckley's in mid-2014, critical or otherwise, that's the kind of thing that I'm very interested in, so please get in touch. I do think that sometimes Ngozi does not show things that the reader does not necessarily need to see because we can just sort of presume that it's been happening from the rest of the comic or that it trans, you know, it transpired at some point. Ergo, you don't need to see it happening to know that it happens. For example, Biddy handing in his senior thesis. Like, he graduated and we saw the process of him writing it, so you don't need to see him physically handing it in to know that, like, he handed it in. I am now in the position of reading way more closely than anybody was ever intended to read this text. So I'm asking questions about things that maybe the author knew nobody would necessarily pick up on. Which brings me to my second point that I've made before, which is that, yes, doing this podcast is causing me to interrogate and examine and excavate and question a lot of things in the text that I did not pick up on the first, you know, however many times I've read this comic until I read this one strip today and I started thinking about it critically as part of a, an exercise that we're engaged in in terms of analyzing how this narrative functions. I mean, I don't know, as soon as I opened this up today and I started reading it, I immediately thought anything that Biddy is telling us in the vlog is bad storytelling. And like, this is a perfect example, I think, of a comic where you should just strike the first panel. Just show us the scene in the locker room. Then you do away with the potential plot hole of Biddy telling the reader something instead of the artist showing it. And it also isn't adding anything. It's showing that like a day after the game happens, Biddy is so pissed about the interaction that he had with Jack that he can't even gush about how he was on the first line for a game. But it's like he already has an expression in the last panel of the comic that indicates that he's bothered by the exchange he's just overheard. I think this is a perfect example of something where if you just cut out the vlog part of this comic, it would not change or take away anything. 
And in fact, it might make it work better because it wouldn't be so obvious that we hadn't been shown something because we would just be being shown something, if that makes sense. The vlog just remains a mystery to me. Like it could have become very many things, but what it becomes is Biddy's stay-at-home housewife MLM job. Like, right? That's like what it turns into at the end. That's fine, but it doesn't do anything formally. And because it doesn't do anything formally, but is a formal decision about how to build the story, I don't understand why it's there. Other than it's an experiment of a young person figuring out how to make a comic, which is fine. But returning to this work as a kind of complete piece of art, it's really frustrating and strange that it's not even analyzing what happens. It's just summarizing. It's, it's in the same way that sometimes her blog posts over-explain and does not trust the reader. This too is over-explaining and not trusting the reader. It's summarizing what's about to happen and just repeating the point, but not in a way that does anything new or analyzes something new or gives a different opportunity for the reader to engage with what happens in a new way. It's just very much like repeating. And I think that this stays the case. It's almost never puncturing or questioning what happens later throughout the rest of the comic. It's almost always introducing and summarizing, which again brings up the point of summary in this comic, which I honestly did not remember being a problem. But now that I'm reading again, I think it's a major weakness of the writing is that it's so much of it a summary. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. This fucking thing. Okay, so Secret just texted into the chat of our Zoom call, this piece of the blog post that Ngozi posted. Does Jack really hate Biddy or is he just like super tsundere? I don't know how to say this word, tsundere. I believe it's tsundere. No, Jack legit thinks Biddy is a nuisance. He's not Helga Pataki, man. He ain't have an Eric Biddleshine in the basement of the house. Why does Jack hate Biddy? Jack has daddy issues. See comic number 12. Just let us read the fucking comic and figure out how Jack feels about Biddy. That's what telling a story is. That's what building a character is. But okay, fine. If it's not clear in the story that Jack really hates Biddy, which by the way, it's not, and we could talk about it. Why is it necessary to control our reactions and opinions about a character or attempt to control them by building specific narrative arcs that are not interpretable because they are so specific in the blog post instead of letting us read into a character and his motivations as they are depicted in a nuanced way. Although are they depicted in a nuanced way? Maybe only because there's not enough writing here, but sure, there, like there's, there's interpretability in the text, which is removed from us in the blog post. And then this brings me oh, to much, much later in the comic when Ngozi really starts trying to not only and understandably control how people interact with her, which is absolutely her right to a certain extent, but also the interpretations that people have about the text at all, which is I'm sure we'll get into, you know, later on in your mostly year four. This just made my brain turn on fire because I'm realizing that this is a pattern of an unwillingness to allow viewers to have their own opinions about this work. Up to and in fact, does Jack really hate Biddy? Which is not clear in the text. And if it needs to be clear in the text, should be clear in the text. If Jack thinks Biddy is a nuisance, what elapses between this comic and the next time they interact when they're sitting at Jerry's talking about whether or not Jack drinks beer or not to cause them to go from him legit thinking Biddy is a nuisance here to that friendly interaction? It just doesn't track to me. I accept that Jack thinks 
Biddy is a nuisance. That doesn't mean he's not tsundere. Emotions are complicated. Jack's brain is almost a mystery to Jack, but it's not so uncommon to have a bunch of mixed up competing emotions about how you feel about somebody. And I wish I were getting that from Jack in text. I don't know if like picking and choosing, depicting him as like neutral, not interacting versus annoyed by Biddy, like in alternating strips is necessarily helpful here. I don't know. I mean, it's also really, really tough for me to look at this and feel like if you want to have these characters get married, which again, was the plan at the time when this strip was being drawn. If you want to have these characters get married, I feel like you need to be doing a lot more work in order to convince me that this is part of the long extended process of them falling in love. I feel like if this were sewn more deeply into the comic and Jack's annoyance and Biddy's frustration that Jack doesn't like him was a more pervasive theme that was coming up constantly like in every comic. Not that the entire strip needed to deal with it, but I would like to see it like really sort of sinking its claws into the story. And I feel like it's just not there. I don't know. I've also never really understood this thing. Why does Jack hate Biddy? Jack has daddy issues. I've never totally figured out exactly what those two things have to do with each other. Jack hated Biddy before he saw Biddy score a goal in front of his dad. If we saw Jack be neutral to nice to Biddy outside of hockey... And then in the hockey, we see Jack turn into an asshole. And then Biddy's not reacting to this assumption of hatred that we're not shown, but is reacting to this like on again, off again problem, which would allow for inconsistency, but also would feel more consistent in the story. I think that could have been interesting because maybe there's something about hockey, which for Jack like does turn on this inability to share credit and this lack of desire to accept someone who is very clearly not only gay, but obviously gay in this space where he has had to silence himself or has felt he had to silence himself, but really has had to silence himself. And then when we see him being kind to Biddy in the future, I still think there would need to be more work done than there is done, but at least there would be some kind of base for their friendship that was built in the comic, right? Whereas there's just nothing here. It's like enemies to lovers, but instead of this, you know, kind of long, slow change, it's like, okay, now they're enemies. Okay, now they're friends. Okay, now they're lovers. And there's not very much actual change. It's just you flick a switch and now we're in act two. I do think this is the last time we see them being antagonistic to each other or any hint that there's any tension between them at all. I think it basically stops here. We never see anything in text that explains or demonstrates why that shift happens. It just happens. It happens before Biddy gets hit in that playoff game at the end of this year. Like, they're already friends 
going into that hit. Yes, I think the moment where Biddy gets hit and Jack regrets it seems like it's striking some kind of chord. But if it's meant to be a sort of moment of crystallization for their sort of friendship-making process, it's already happened. Yeah. He makes this comment in the first panel about Jack's stupid face again. He, he already made it one time in the first semester. He's making it again. The first time he made it, I didn't necessarily feel like it was a romantic thing, but I feel like Biddy's posture in the first panel is like textbook, like heroine ranting about why the guy she's going to get with is an asshole. So I, I feel like it's it's just actual foreshadowing here. I also just looked at that panel again, and I realized that Biddy's eyes are finally starting to approach the proportions to which they will reach. They're not quite there. They're not at like full dinner plate yet, but they're getting there. Um, yeah, so after we leave that first panel with Biddy ranting, I guess the rest of this is just a flashback or Biddy recounting things to the viewer. There are a couple of details in here that I think are worth pointing out. The first is that Jack is shown taping his stick. We'll see him taping his stick again in Shinny. I can't off the top of my head, um think of any other strip where we see him taping his stick, but we also don't get a lot of like locker room shots. So there aren't that many opportunities right before gameplay to see Jack doing this. But as far as I'm aware, Jack's the only person we see doing it. The other thing I think that's worth noting is that the person who's on the line with Jack and Biddy in this game is Einhardt Hardy, the character that Ngozi's screenplay her senior year of college was about. Hardy is a hockey nickname for Einhardt, obviously. I don't know if she's just using the name or if she's intending to, like, nod at that particular character, but it is worth noting that in the screenplay for Hardy, the school that Hardy is at is Samwell. She writes when she posts the first 15 pages of Hardy it's interesting to look at the protagonists, Chris Einhardt and Eric Biddle. They are diametric opposites, and I have no idea how Biddy developed from or in rebellion to Hardy. That's not how I use that word. Eric Biddle is a small, compassionate, talkative Southern belle who has a high emotional IQ and will fix you a slice of pie while asking you about your day. Chris Einhardt is very tall and very quiet and very dumb. He speaks with his fists and has two lobes in his meat brain, one for hockey and one for less important things. But without Hardy, there would be no Biddy. Makes me feel sad, and I don't even know why. Sometimes, much like I think the way that Eric Biddle talks about himself does not match what I see on the page, this description of Biddy does not actually necessarily match how I understand Biddy, who is certainly not uh, very tall and very quiet, but who I wouldn't call like especially intelligent or especially compassionate or like I don't think he has an especially high emotional IQ. If he had a really high emotional IQ, he would have left Jack alone when Jack tried to stop talking about his feelings behind the rink. There's something interesting happening there where there's a disconnect, at least for me, in the way the protagonist portrays himself and the way the comic portrays him. And then the way that Ngozi talks about him in the way that I personally am able to interpret from the text I actually see 
I think it's possible that Biddy could be compassionate, but we actually never see him have an opportunity to be compassionate. Nobody around him ever requires compassion because nothing bad ever happens to anyone around him. So how would we know? Well, isn't that interesting? Because the one character who I think would need some kind of compassion because of genuinely bad stuff happening is a certain cowlick attached to a question mark. And the one time we see those characters talk, Biddy is not what I would call compassionate. Have you ever seen the movie, um, maybe calling it a movie is generous, of Magical Mystery Tour? Oh, The Beatles? Yes. Yes. You know that scene where John Lennon is like scooping spaghetti out of like a wheelbarrow onto like some fat woman's plates? Yes. Basically, like, Biddy with pie in Parson. It's just like a maniacal look on his face. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, who else? So the other person I can think who he could be compassionate to but isn't really given an opportunity to is Whiskey. It, nothing bad happens to Whiskey, especially other than that Biddy sees him making out with a Chad. But... Like, they never actually have enough time together for Biddy to extend anything other than his, like, own idea of himself as a captain who wants to be supportive. Being compassionate and being supportive aren't exactly the same thing, especially when you're supportive because... It seems like when Biddy offers support to someone, this is my reading, and we'll see if it stays true as we go along, the thing that he's centering is not the other person, it's his idea of himself as someone who is nurturing. And it gives the tone of that support a slight difference than what I would call like compassion detached from ego or something. I don't know that Biddy is that compassionate or if he has an image of himself as someone who's a caretaker and then plays to that image without actually paying attention to what the person he's talking to might need or want. And by the way, I love Biddy and I'm obsessed with him. So this is not necessarily a critique. This is just like an examination of the character as I see him in the comic. I realize that I'm possibly quibbling over a word, but the specific definition of compassion is pity in response to like somebody else's pain, like actual literal suffering. Whiskey does not need compassion. I I mean, he seems like shocked to have been walked in on in the middle of like a smoking hot makeout. After that scene, he seems completely fine and like he just wants to be left alone. He doesn't appear to be anything other than like disinterested in talking about it. He doesn't seem to be like unnecessarily suffering under the weight of like, you know, the closet or whatever. Maybe what Biddy thinks is compassion is actually just like busybodiness. I guess that takes us back to Biddy kind of like, you know, barging in on Jack's sort of pity party after his dad hangs up the phone when he's sitting in the loading dock right before that Yale game. I guess he hears that Jack is like stressed out and possibly suffering and comes out to like offer Jack some sort of succor or whatever. Compassion is a weird word for a character who exists in a world where like there is no instance of like sustained suffering. In terms of Biddy having a high emotional IQ, 
It seems like if he did, his reaction to his perception that Jack hates his guts wouldn't be ranting like an idiot to his vlog. I'm not sure that anyone in this strip is like particularly good at listening to and understanding the emotions of others. Which, you know, they're all hockey playing like 18 to 22 year olds, so fair enough. Except for Jack, who's ancient. I would never expect him to be emotionally intelligent anyway, so that's fine. But I guess I just feel kind of weird about this clear disconnect between what I'm supposed to think of Biddy and what I actually think of Biddy. And that disconnect has grown and grown and grown since first reading the comic and then re-encountering it, writing fanfic about it, and finally rereading it with you. That disconnect has only grown wider. And I can only imagine it will continue to grow wider. I wonder what this comic would have been like if she'd kept the grittiness of Hardy. Jack in this strip is 23 years old, which is older than Biddy when he gets married. And yet Jack in this strip seems like he's 800 years old. And Biddy at the end of year four seems like he's in eighth grade. (laughs) (laughs) I also just, I know that they're in a somewhat similar position, but like when I was 23, I was teaching 18 year olds who were in high school, not in college. I'm just trying to imagine like being 23 and being a peer with an 18 year old and sending them like a fucking death glare because the coach put them on the same line as me. I kind of love it. It's a weird character note. I mean, listen, age is no marker of maturity. Everyone's on their own paths, blah, blah, blah. But like, I'm just really interested in this because Jack is in a pretty different life place in the sense that he knows what he wants to do with his life. He knows pretty much what he wants to do after college, although whether it will work out or not isn't sure. Jack is an adult. Do you know what I mean? He's an adult in a way that Biddy isn't in this strip. And and even though they're both in college, even though Jack like is on this slightly non-traditional path, which means he's in the same school as Biddy, his life is pretty different in where he is. And I'm just really fascinated by like throwing the side eye at Biddy in this way. I mean, it tells you a lot about Jack and I'm really interested in it. And I also find it really different from my own experience of being that age. I don't quite know that what it tells us about Jack ever gets played out in the strip. A little heavy handed, but also I'm very satisfied by the fact that in that panel where Jack is glaring at Biddy, the speech bubble next to him says, that bro fucking hated you for no reason. Biddy didn't ask to be on the first line. He didn't do anything to get there. Instance one of Eric Biddle being handed things that he doesn't want and didn't try to get. Having said that, um, yeah, Jack should probably not be glaring hatefully at Biddy for no other reason than, like, he should be mad at the coaches. Like, they're the people who are making this decision. Biddy didn't do anything. Biddy probably doesn't want to be on the first line. Biddy probably doesn't give a flying fuck. I guess that's a reason why Jack would hate Biddy, for not caring enough. Yeah, I mean, so the coaches make this, make this statement that Biddy and Jack play well together and that actually Jack plays better when Biddy is on his line, which I guess they've been doing in practice. Again, we never see it. It never happens. I guess it's inaccurate to say it comes out of nowhere because... 
Bob and Suzanne have had a little conversation a few strips ago about how they should be on the same line. However, that also is based on nothing. Characters in the strip telling us things we haven't seen or that it would have been a lot like, oh my God, it would have been so much better if there was a strip between Lardo in this one or maybe if there had been a strip before Lardo and then this strip. So it went another first strip, Lardo, this strip. Forget hockey bots. I, don't, I can't even think about that right now. Where they're at practice after a winter break. Biddy is doing better with the checking. Jack and Biddy play together for a couple panels really well. Then Biddy makes some dumb mistake. Jack acts like a stupid bitch, and somebody says something like, well, here we go again, and, like, that's the end of the strip. Like, that would basically bridge all of these things. You know what this reminds me of is, like, ancient Greek drama where they didn't have enough special effects or actors to do a battle, so they would, like, go off screen. It's not a screen. They didn't have screens in ancient Greece. You know what I mean? They go off scrims. (laughs) okay you know what I'm saying so they would go off stage and then they'd come back and the chorus would be like there was a really big battle and it was bad and then someone would come on and sort of like rue whatever prophecy had come to pass so it feels very much like that but like in a comic you don't have any budget I mean you have the budget of your time but you don't have like actors you have to pay you don't have the limitation of a physical space she could very easily she already has backgrounds drawn she could just draw them in the rink there's room here for showing that kind of thing in a way that isn't necessarily true of other kinds of forms and so I don't understand why it always comes back to people talking about each other I guess you can make the argument I okay okay I guess I guess you could make the argument that ultimately one of the things this comic is about is the stories we tell about ourselves and the stories we tell about other people And that's why being closeted is like such a big theme. And in that case, you could make the argument that this is somehow thematically connected because it's, you know, whatever. But I think that that's specious. I think that is bad. Like, I don't actually think that it works. I think you could make the argument, but I personally am not that convinced by it, that it's some kind of formal choice. But I think it's just weird pacing and maybe an unwillingness to draw hockey practice, which drawing people playing hockey is difficult, but then why are you making a comic about hockey players? Like, I don't fully understand the unwillingness to just show these things. I don't care. Now that we all agree it's a masterpiece, I feel like I got to unpack it a little bit. New York Times bestselling best comic ever written. The New York Times didn't say it was the best comic ever written. That's true. I don't think the New York Times would ever say that about any comic. And if they did, it would be Doonesbury. I wonder if it's apparent in the planning that these are things that are missing or if it's something that is only visible to us sitting here going back through the whole thing thinking about the whole and how these smaller components are building up to the larger story but as you said she knew that they were going to get married okay so some things as you build a long narrative might get dropped that's fine but this is like a pretty major this is the major arc of the of the comic so you would think it would be worth putting time into telling it i don't know we talk about this as bad pacing or bad writing but often when i think of bad pacing i think of 
logical events that are not put together in a way that makes a lot of sense. But the more that I think about this comic, I actually think it's just illogical events. There's not cause and effect. They're just sort of like plopped in there as sort of nods or to the trope or borrowed from the trope. And then we kind of move on to the next thing. I think that that's kind of what's happening here. Like, okay, they start as antagonists and then they become friends and then they fall in love and then they get married. And so right now they're antagonists. And so I have to show them being antagonists, but there's really like very little thought about how each strip connects to each strip around it, other than the beats that it's supposed to hit for this particular romance story. So this is why storytelling is often done either episodically, where nothing is building to anything. It's just sort of one-off moments in the lives of the characters that are meant to be amusing. And then you move on to the next thing next week. Or things are serialized, where there's shorter arcs, but the overall story isn't like some sort of grand unified narrative. Usually things that are telling one story compactly with a single plot that runs through the whole thing are written in entirety and then edited so that you can notice if you're missing something, like a strip that pulls all of the threads from semester one into semester two. I think it's worth saying as many times as we have to that this is being started as a just kind of, let's see what happens project by somebody who's in school and just sort of feeling their way through putting it all together and perhaps a little bit surprised at the fact that like it's got the audience that it does have. At the same time, if you laid out all of Check Please, then went back and like put it together as a graphic novel and you were able to see what was missing, you'd get a much better story overall. Having, all right, so having covered that, Jack has this uh, panel where he has an O sort of realization where all of the background drains away from the comic. I hate this panel. I think it is drawn so ugly. I think when this panel is drawn at the end of year two, where he realizes that he's gonna go and really say goodbye to Biddy, it looks a lot better. The only thing that really bothers me about this strip is his earlobe. I don't know why, but I don't like it. Everything else, yeah, I agree. It's not It's not that great, but it's okay. And I do think it's effective in the sense that if you're really telegraphing to the reader what they're supposed to be feeling right now, I think that the change in color is effective in doing that, even if it's not the most attractive panel on the planet. Uh, there's a mention of the fact that Knipiak has a goon on their team. A goon is an enforcer. It is somebody on a hockey team who is responsible, like, basically for fighting, basically for, like, enforcing, so to speak, the integrity of the hockey team. Is that an okay description or am I missing something? It's like a, it's like muscle. It's like your team's muscle. It's the guy yeah. who does the, the fighting or the threatening. I'm not sure how effective a goon you could be on an NCAA team in part because goons traditionally, of course they are very good at hard checking and so on, but they also fight. That's like a main thing that an enforcer or goon or 
whatever you want to call them does. And that's not allowed in NCAA hockey. So I'm not sure how much of a greasy motherfucker this guy is, like what he's actually doing on the ice besides maybe checking really, really hard. Yeah. I mean, apparently it's just like he was, you know, tailing this one particular goon would have been like, you know, tailing holster for the whole game and just constantly getting in his way and like checking him a lot and like trying to physically keep him out of play. You're not supposed to fight. I think the Hardy character was basically a goon. Yeah, I think he was supposed to be. So finally we end up with Biddy's sort of weird look of apprehension or like uncertainty in the last panel. I feel like this is a really weird ending for this comic. Like what happens in this game? Like why do we just have Biddy have this reaction and then that's the end? Actually, the first panel where he's vlogging is chronologically happening after the last panel in the comic. So how does he go from this look of like whatever is on his face at the end of the comic to just like being annoyed and ranting about how Jack hates him? Like what happened during or after the game to get him there? I mean, we don't know is the thing. Like it's not there. There's no answer. And the thing is, like, if he remained hurt or if he remained in some kind of emotion that connected back to that weird look on his face, at least I would feel kind of, okay, it's come full circle. It's using the arc to show something. But instead, the inconsistency just makes me really uncertain. I don't know. I never want to say a story has to show certain things. The story doesn't have to show anything. But... It's frustrating as a reader to not be able to understand the motivations and desires of characters. And I think this is something that this comic really suffers from. I can make guesses about why Biddy becomes angry, and it's because feeling sad and anxious doesn't feel good. And so probably it gets turned into anger, especially if during the game, like we have no idea how the game goes. We don't know if they win or lose. Even that information would be helpful because it would tell us something about their performance together on the line. Not to bring Chekhov's gun back, but it's just like one Chekhov's gun after another and then none of them ever go off. Or if they do go off, they kind of don't hit a target. They just kind of go. I have a question about whether or not the look on Biddy's face is meant to be not in response to Jack's sort of hockey brattiness, but more so the fact that the other team has like a really rough player and Biddy is overhearing Ransom Holster and Shitty talking about how they have like a really rough player and he's thinking about how he like might end up getting checked. I think you could read it that way but I think that comics logic tells you not to read it that way because otherwise there's no reason to show Jack's glare in between Biddy's happy face and his unhappy face. If you put any images together in any order the human brain will start to build a narrative out of them. I I think that if Ngozi wanted to show Biddy being afraid of being checked putting Jack's face in this order automatically makes that maybe a tertiary reading or or something like it's certainly not the first thing that would occur because otherwise why would you yeah why would his face be there i think you could make that argument it's textually available but i don't think that it's the logical conclusion and it's certainly not how i've ever read this strip it's not how i've ever read the strip either in the first panel of this comic, Biddy basically tells the reader what it is that he's thinking and feeling, and all he talks about is Jack. So I'm pretty sure that's the comic telling you that's what he's reacting to at the end of the comic. 
I guess you could read it that way, right? But I agree. I don't think it's meant to be read that way. I guess you could read it as Biddy is so distracted by this thing with Jack that he's not even thinking about getting checked. So there's kind of this disruption of Biddy's fear because of Jack's disapproval, even though the feeling that replaces that fear isn't a good feeling. So I guess there's something there. And then because everyone has seen him faint, like presumably at every practice or something, the reaction by whoever's talking in that last panel, hey, what's the matter, Bits? You're not getting cold feet, eh? I guess that must be ransom if there's an A in there. I guess because they've seen him faint so much, they would assume that that's the reason that he's feeling that way. Although you'd think if your captain was glaring daggers at one player, especially if you're someone like Holster and you don't like your captain, you might notice and be like, oh, that guy's such a dick. So then all of this leads the question of why does Jack hate that Biddy is on his line so much? <laughs> According to the blog post, Jack has daddy issues. But Jack's daddy isn't at this game, at least as far as we know. So, yes, obviously, Jack is always thinking about daddy. But, like, what else? I've made a list of some maybe reasons, none of which are, like, good. Maybe being seen near other more obvious homosexuals makes him anxious. Maybe it reminds him of the last time he had a blonde guy on his wing. Maybe he hates that this kid who doesn't give a shit about hockey is, like, as good as him for no particular reason. And I feel like it's also possible maybe that Jack feels like he is overly scrutinized and has to be perfect all of the time to, like, get to the first line of this, like, not-that-great college hockey team, whereas Biddy is unable to take so much as one check and, like, nobody except Jack notices or cares. I think Biddy also feels like he has to be perfect all the time. It's just that his perfect really doesn't involve hockey. His perfect involves, like, pies. Both of them, and arguably also Parse, conceivably have what's been called best little boy in the world syndrome, which is high, high achievement among, like gay men in order to sort of offset the liability of being gay. I can't remember which Crooked Media podcast it was, but I feel like it was, why did I just forget what it's called? Love it or leave it. He asks Pete Buttigieg about this. And Pete Buttigieg is a good example of this sort of thing because there were a lot of think pieces about it or sort of like discussions of this earlier in the year, especially as his high achieving corporate past started to make people feel very uncomfortable. If we do not pay attention to Ngozi's blog post, Oh, I think you brought Pete Buttigieg up in another podcast, didn't you? Well, anyway. Yes, I did. I brought, it, I brought him up in the context of there were a lot of takes about Pete Buttigieg is gay, but he is not queer. He is basically like a white Christian man who's been in the army, who has made it through every sort of mainstream paradigm of success in America, and he's married to another man, and they live in Indiana. You have a better memory than I do for this. Okay. Yes, for Pete Buttigieg, yes. (laughs) I meant for what we discussed in our very important podcast. Also, I listen to Love It or Leave It every single week. I've been to a live taping. Here's my question. If we do not pay attention to the blog post, which I think is one of those, like, is it or isn't it canon pieces of material? Because on the one hand, I'm being handed the author's intention. But on the other hand, as we all know, the author is dead. Like, does Jack actually hate Biddy? 
As you mentioned at the beginning of this discussion, we don't see very much evidence that he does. What do I actually see? I see Jack glaring at Biddy. Admittedly, not a good time for your captain to be glaring at you right before a game when you're about to play on his line for the first time. And then Biddy freaking out about it. Like, is this Biddy overreacting or kind of like reading into these 35 seconds? Are we meant to understand that this plays out through the game and disrupts their gameplay? Or that Jack chews Biddy out and we don't see it? I mean, we just can't know those other things, right? But is it possible that this is Biddy just having a very exaggerated reaction? The two reasonable options for how to interpret this interaction and indeed this strip are A, we are meant to presume that what Biddy says is to be taken at face value. Jack's glaring at him here is representative of a lot more antagonism between them than we're seeing. This is just one moment in one comic strip. Or Biddy so pathologically needs to be liked by everyone all of the time that he is internalizing any negativity from Jack and weighing it much more heavily than he ought to weigh it. I feel like it's probably the former. And the reasons why I think that are, number one, this comic is usually not as subtle as trying to get us to figure out what is going on with Biddy emotionally in a way where he's misinterpreting what we're seeing. Number two, this is not a one-off interaction. It is the sort of last in a string of these interactions, but we saw it over and over and over again throughout year one. The number of times this has been depicted in combination with the fact that we've had it told to us on so many occasions probably means we're supposed to read it at face value. But I find it more satisfying to think of like a combination of the two. Well, I guess the point remains like, who gives a shit? Like, Biddy, like, why does he give a flying fuck if Jack hates him? Who cares? I mean, obviously, he's the captain of Biddy's hockey team. And I guess, you know, that counts for something. But at this point, like, Biddy is new in college. There's all sorts of people he hasn't met. He doesn't live in the house yet. The fact that this guy who's the captain of his hockey team, like, sort of doesn't like him, doesn't really count for that much in the greater scheme of Biddy's life. Like, go make some other friends if this guy's being a dick to you. You don't have to build your whole life around this hockey team. I realize that in the text of the comic, like, that's the point of the comic. But, like, you can do, like, what Whiskey does later in the comic and, like, give as much of yourself as you feel like to the hockey team and also be really good at hockey and have friends elsewhere and not let your entire life revolve around being on the hockey team. There's no reason other than like Biddy's bizarre pathology to be like that he should double down on like fretting about whether or not Jack likes him. At this point, he's not married to Jack. Jack is just some guy he'd known for four and a half months. So if this happened to me, if an authority figure of some kind like this was acting like this to me, I would get really shitty and resentful, and then I would be like, he's my enemy, and then I would be like, fuck that guy. I would not seek his approval over and over again, I don't think. 
And I would probably get a lot of enjoyment out of deciding that we were enemies and then like running with that. Would your anger at someone treating you this way turn into love? Like, how do you think you would react? Um, yeah, I think while I was in the context of being on the hockey team, I would get a kick out of bitching to my friends on the hockey team about the fact that Jack was an asshole. But I think it's highly unlikely that my entire social life would revolve around being on the hockey team. I think I would probably enjoy, like performing my annoyance at Jack for like my non-hockey friends. And I say this having gone to college and having done things that were as time consuming as being on a hockey team and having things and people I was annoyed about in that thing. And then, you know, stepping out of that venue and having a life outside of it and like complaining about it. And my other friends being like, yeah, so-and-so sounds like an asshole. The hyper surreal construction that enables this comic to function, and like I'm accepting that that's how it is, is the idea that the lives of all of these people is entirely centered on being on the hockey team. And we have no information about, and there is nothing going on for any of them outside of this venue, with the exception of possibly lardo but we don't even know that much it's just mentioned that she has art friends who aren't on the hockey team some of what we're prescribing to biddy effectively like strategies for escaping the narrative convention that he is trapped in which of course he cannot because he's a comic character in a narrative however thinking about in text why Biddy makes the decisions that Biddy makes. Maybe this does sort of weave back into, you know, best little boy in the world syndrome or whatever. Much like Jack, I think, he doesn't seem like the type of person who would just cut his losses and figure something else out. When he's terrified of checking, even after he's gotten a concussion, He doesn't decide, you know what, I'm not cut out for hockey. He really struggles to find a way to, like, win at hockey. Likewise, if Jack doesn't like him, what we see of him in terms of other characters who don't like him in the comic is that he's basically just going to, like, do whatever he has to do to try to get that character to like him. Now, we don't really see him doing that with Jack here, but it certainly seems like he's bothered by it. And, like, I think, you know, what Biddy, if he were a real person, needs to understand is, like, everybody's different and some people just don't like you. I can't possibly begin to tell you how many people I don't like. I don't like anyone. I hate everybody. If this were written in a way which gave us greater access to Biddy's interiority and complexity. His desire to be liked, his insecurity, his sort of like sparking feeling about Jack, which will eventually alchemically turn into making out, could all be really interesting. So these loci of moments of examination where you think about who Biddy is and what it means for him to be on a hockey team and kind of what it was like growing up with his dad as the football coach and these bad experiences he's had that are played for jokes, but 
are serious instances of homophobic bullying, you know, which would impact somebody. Um, I think it could be really interesting, but the, the comic, even though it's the story about emotions is weirdly uninterested in interiority. We very rarely get a sense of what anyone is thinking except through how they report it, which makes sense given Ngozi's interest in sort of sitcoms and screenplays. That's how people communicate. We can't access each other's interiority, but there are ways to use dialogue and framing really intelligently to examine those things. And she does that sometimes, like that frame where Jack is below the what's your type speech bubble, that's a way of accessing Biddy's interiority. I think the closet story too does a pretty nice job of accessing Biddy's interiority through dialogue. Yet for some reason in his relationship with Jack, very rarely see either of their interior experiences with regards to the other character in a complex way. It's either like, I hate him, he hates me, I'm mad, or like, I have a crush on him and he doesn't have a crush on me and it's sad or like we're in love. And there's just not a lot of nuance there or room for multiple feelings at once or sort of an understanding of how emotions shift in and out of each other which could be really interesting. Like, this is what's frustrating about this comic to me is that Biddy, if you read this comic not as I think it's intended to be read within the scope of its tropes, but like as it actually is on the page, Biddy's an insecure disaster. And that's really interesting. These things like this blog post, which limits the reading of what's actually in the text, it's really a lot more interesting if Jack both hates Biddy and doesn't hate him. If Jack is taking his daddy issues out on Biddy, but the reason he's taking his daddy issues out on Biddy is because he recognizes something in their dynamic that he finds like familiar and compelling because he wants to fuck his dad, you know, or whatever. That would be very interesting, but the comic never lets itself go there. Yeah, I mean, I want to second what you're saying. Jack does want to fuck his dad. Like, just to be clear, like that is what's going on in this comic, correct? I don't understand how else to understand the note, why does Jack hate Biddy? Jack has daddy issues. There's no other interpretation that really brings all the threads together. Very few people, if any, have ever played with this concept. I'm going to just throw out a recommendation I've already made, which is for the fic, get the wine pairings, which is the best daddy Biddy fic that maybe I've read and uh, that I reread on the regular. Yeah, I think one of the sort of tensions between what's happening in the comic and how I have received the comic that I have uncovered in doing this podcast with you is that there is a logical way that people react to things. And then there is a way that texts need to be structured in order to communicate things to a reader let's say Jack and Biddy were actual people. The fact that Jack's feelings are complicated and he doesn't understand them. So the way that he acts on those feelings is just by like being a douche and mistreating other people around him. Completely comprehensible. Not nice, not good, but like that's how people are. Within the text... I think you need to make a decision if you're the author that you want to create something that's really tightly structured so that everybody understands exactly what you mean the whole time. 
or you need to accept that your characters have emotions that sometimes are ambivalent and you're writing something that's shaggy and is multivalent on purpose. I think the problem is check plays is often not tightly structured enough or not well edited enough to communicate strict meanings effectively. And then the author gets frustrated that people are reading them multivalently. I know that I've said Check, Please is not an experimental text, and I'll just keep, you know, holding on to that. But it's actually a weirdly effective version of what Roland Barthes would call a text of jouissance, which is a text of pleasure that is pleasurable because it is immersive in a particular way, because it does not offer strict readings and obvious interpretation. Now, the funny thing about Check, Please, and kind of what made me love it so much, and also what makes it frustrating, is that it is both readable as a very straightforward romance that has very obvious interpretations that you're supposed to be really into, and it is readable as a text which has open-ended questions, uncertain answers, multiple readings, multiple understandings that you as a reader have to immerse yourself in in order to understand. I thought that that was on purpose. Doing this podcast had just made me realize that I think maybe it wasn't on purpose. Maybe it's just this weird, happy accident of writing. And so we're left in this really weird place where I still love this text and I'm clearly obsessed with it, which is why I'm part of this podcast and like wanting to talk about every strip for it two hours twice a week, or sometimes three hours, or sometimes four hours twice a week, you know? I can't quite let myself completely dissolve into that reading because the author is so clearly and insistently pushing against it. I can ignore what the author says, and I will, and happily. But the entire culture around the comic, and I think this is probably what has led to so much of the division in the fandom as the comic goes on, tends to be between people who read characters in ways in which they are clearly meant to be read and in ways in which they are not clearly meant to be read. There are tropes being telegraphed that you can take on their face or that you can kind of question and poke apart because they're actually not that well communicated. So that's where we end up in this weird place where it's like, okay, does Jack hate Biddy? It seems to me that the comic is trying to wink at enemies to lovers as a trope but never actually plays out the emotional shift. So we're left with reading into it and writing fanfic about it. Well, my conclusion to this strip is it's the first time that we see Jack drawn with cheekbones. Only in one panel, but they're there. And I do have to say, I think that that is an interesting decision in terms of caricature. So it must be easier to draw Jack and make Jack look like Jack when there are distinguishing features to his face, especially if you're somebody who is doing a lot of roughs or a lot of, you know, sketchy versions of things. That said, I don't think his character design strictly needs them. I actually think the way she draws them, his cheekbones are pretty much already implied. You don't need, like, a line. It just makes him look gaunt and scary. Which he is, by the way. He is scary. That's my final note about this comic. My final note is that I thought the backgrounds were pretty nice, except for the panel that Secret hates and that I feel ambivalent about. This locker room is nicely done. 
I wish some of that attention had been put into the character development, but you know, I'll take what I can get. Um, the only thing I really don't like in this first panel, we are in Biddy's dorm room again. It looks nice. But then your eye just sort of drifts over to the left and you see that Senor Bun is on the bed reading. And here's the thing. I don't hate Senor Bun. This is not a secret situation where I'm like, I hate that fucking bunny. I don't feel that way. I think the bunny is fine. I think it's a little weird, but I think it's fine. However, the fact that Biddy has set him up to be reading in the background of his ranting about Jack makes me weirdly uncomfortable in ways I can't quite articulate. Although B, now that we've had this discussion about Daddy Biddy, is making me think that Senor Bun should perhaps be a prop in more fanfic. Although I don't think I would actually enjoy that. So maybe I don't want that. Who is setting up their little plush animal in like a cute diorama in the back while they're ranting about the man they're going to marry. I don't know. Something about that tone is bananas in a way that I would like if I thought it were being played on purpose, but I think it's just supposed to be cute. And therefore I find it slightly creepy. I hate senior bun. I hate it. I hate anything in this, this comic that's supposed to be just like cute at face value without any sort of underlying meaning anything that's supposed to be propping Biddy up as just like, a wholesome, wonderful character who is adorbs and we're just supposed to love him because he is angelic without complication, childlike even. I just don't enjoy. Adults do have stuffed animals, but the fact that we're shown this one so much, just like, ugh. I was thinking about this earlier in the episode. I don't hate Biddy. I hate the way the comic wants us to think about Biddy. Does that make sense? I hate the way that, like, Biddy is constructed within the project of Check, Please. This is what I mean when I say I really struggle to read the character that's being telegraphed as opposed to the character that I see on the page. The character who's being telegraphed is a cinnamon bun of a young man who's just so perfect and cute and his eyes are so big for some reason that doesn't make him look like a child. I don't know. And he has a, as you said, stuffed animal, which is not weird. It's not weird that he has a stuffed animal. What's weird to me is that he, it's not, how do I even say this? What's weird to me is not that he has a stuffed animal. Or even that he loves a stuffed animal and sleeps in the same bed as a stuffed animal. Like, people need comfort objects. It's chill. What's weird to me is the sort of, like, use of Senor Bun as a prop in this particular way. I don't know. I can't quite... I have to think more about it. I can't quite articulate why I don't like that, but I don't like it. Well, the fact that it's sitting there on the bed in front of the books reading means that before Biddy recorded this vlog... He set the bunny up so that the people watching his vlog would notice it, which is really fascinating in terms of Biddy. But all I can say is, like, that's why I write fanfic. Yeah. Something else, I I guess this is where I'll leave off. Like, Biddy and Jack have sex, and Senior Bun is there. Like... That's why I'm saying they only have one bed. Like that's it's it's there. Like and it's fine. 
What I'm saying is that like, if you're going to write about Daddy Biddy, Senor Bun is an obvious prop because there's a weird childlike thing happening there that I guess is worth exploring. The fact that Biddy takes time to set up Senor Bun reading so that he'll get comments from 13-year-old girls on his blog post saying, OMG, that's so cute or whatever. It is really fascinating about Biddy. It says something about how much he wants to control his image and how much he wants to project a certain kind of cuteness or kitschiness. I don't know that Biddy's like sophisticated enough in his thinking about cuteness to get towards kitschy, but like, let's throw it in there. Or campiness, again, another thing that I'm not so sure how much Biddy's thinking about. Biddy is the least campy person I have ever heard about. There's like a quality of accidental camp in sort of setting up your childhood rabbit to reading this book or something. I don't know. Anyway, maybe not. All I'm saying is there's something really interesting about that that deserves to be explored, I guess, in fanfic because the comic never goes there. The comic never thinks about the fact that Biddy carefully spends time propping up the soft rabbit who probably needs, like, I don't know, a pencil behind him or something to keep him upright. That's a really interesting character and the comic never goes there. The comic just accepts that this is cute. A comic that was destroying toxic masculinity and crushing stereotypes would give Jack a stuffed animal, not Biddy. And that's why you need to write fanfic about it, or somebody does. I'm really actually not into this. I know that I've been pushing for this for the past five minutes, but I actually like don't necessarily want to read a fic about Yeah, that. I don't want to read it. Like, don't give it to me. Bring it to Tomato. She started it. I already have regrets. Anyway, good luck, everybody, in writing your Senor Bun porn and, you know, let us know about it, I guess. I moderate the uh, South Park Big Bang, which has its own uh, website. And over the past couple of days, I dealt with a lot of requests to have stories set from like the author's name to anonymous. And one person who made this request in their follow-up email to me wrote, I'm just trying to cover my ass in a new fandom environment. And I thought to myself, wow, that's depressing. Yeah, that really is depressing. I'm just going to keep writing whatever I'm going to write because like, I don't give a shit. But I am really curious to see how the landscape of fandom will continue to change. You want socks? I got them. All right. I think that's probably enough of this. Um, Yeah, we'll be back here next time for 1.17, where we'll meet the best characters in the comic. We know you're sick of hearing about newly introduced character Lardo. Lardo this, Lardo that. Aren't you sick of Lardo? Well, me too. So let's meet some new characters in 1.17 Tadpoles. I've been Secret OMG. You can find me on Tumblr at Camillar, C-A-M-I-L-L-I-A-R, and Familiar on AO3. I'm Tomato. You can find me at tomatorights.tumblr.com or on AO3 as Tomato Greens with an underscore between those words. And you can find Check Displeased on Spotify and on Tumblr and on Podbean. I tried to think of something funny to say, but I couldn't. The end. Bye. Bye. We also have Biddy literally telling you in the first strip of the comic, like...
my cat is making some noise. That's spooky making that meow? Yes, that's spooky. He's meowing at me now. Ugh, why does my cat like get saliva on me just because I stick my fingers in his mouth? 